Good morning. Any identity without Jesus is an incomplete identity. When we truly see ourselves in the eyes of God, we will never be the same. For the next four weeks as a church community, we're going to look at the issue of identity. Together with Jackson and Ross and Neil, we are going to unpack what God says about who we are as individuals, who we are as children of God, who we are as a gathered group of believers and who we are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old has gone, a new life has begun. So it's my job to kick us off and this morning I want to look at three things. What, the, what we believe about ourselves, what the Bible says about who we are, and how we can rise above the lies that we have believed about ourselves. So let's begin. Let me ask you a question. Who are you? Who are you? If you're like me, your thoughts have gone to the roles you have or the tasks you perform. You might be thinking, well, I'm a teacher. Uh, I'm a small business owner. I'm a healthcare professional, a lawyer, a scientist, an architect, a student. I'm a stay-at-home mum. But that is not fully who you are. It's what you do. These roles are things that you do or jobs that you perform. These are titles of how you spend your time. And they change. You see, I used to be a piano teacher and a mum of four small children. And now I'm a grandma. If we build our identity on what we do, we run the risk of being derailed. What happens when you can no longer undertake that task? What happens if an accident stops you from working? Or a trauma changes your relationships? The death of a loved one? Separation from family or divorce? I was discussing this with a healthcare professional in our congregation this week. And she told me that she sees this happen to people over and over again in her line of work. People's life situations change, their health changes, they lose loved ones, and they lose their identity. They struggle to know who they are anymore and where they fit in. We are complex beings, aren't we? And our identity cannot be reduced to one unchangeable marker. No one is only a Christian, and none of us are only Australian. The people we call Australian or Christians are also men and women, or mothers and daughters, or sons, or doctors and teachers, middle class, wealthy, politic politically motivated and apathetic sure of their beliefs or really unsure of their beliefs. We are, in other words, very complex, multidimensional, unique and ever-changing. Our identity formation is impacted by the society in which we live, our family of origin, our loved ones, our ethnicity and culture, the location of where we live, our educational and employment opportunities, the media, our interests and hobbies, our appearance, our self-expression and our life experiences. And despite this rich 
brilliant backdrop on which our identity is woven. Ours is a day of identity angst. In the Cambridge Companion to Christian Doctrine, Kevin Van Hooser says this, The human race is suffering from a collective identity crisis. The digital age has thrust us into a different world. We can interact with hundreds and thousands of people simultaneously. We have given more people the ability to impact our self-esteem than any other period in the world's history. Social media provides great opportunity for self-expression and self-identification. But the flip side of this is that it can lead to an unhealthy thirst for the approval and the validation of others. Social scientific research indicates that more and more young people are sourcing their identities from social media and from advertising, and in the process are losing their self-esteem. Young people are crafting a life online which portrays them as hashtag main character. It's a life much like a fairy tale, with very little resemblance to the reality in which they live day by day. Mia Friedman, the co-founder of the digital media company Mamma Mia, put it like this. There's a blurred line between self-empowerment and self-objectification. We demand the ability to be self-made. We are fiercely independent. We celebrate with advice like, be true to yourself, follow your heart, and you do you. Brian Rosner, in his book, How to Find Yourself, Why Looking In is Not the Answer, says this. Our society believes that all forms of external authority are to be rejected and everyone's quest for self-expression should be celebrated. Most people today believe that there is only one place to look to find yourself, and that is inward. This makes personal identity a do-it-yourself project. We talk about finding ourselves, recreating ourselves, becoming more of who we really are. Academics have coined this phrase expressive individualism. It's a philosophy that says, be yourself, to be yourself, you have to find yourself. And number two, you belong to yourself. We want to create ourselves in any way we please. And then we put this identity out into the world on social media in the hope that others will validate our choices. Our society applauds tolerance of anything. It says that we should be completely tolerant and accept any persona and every identity. But what we're quickly discovering is that our society is proving to be intolerant of anyone who has a different point of view. According to social researcher Hugh Mackay, many young people in the West today are in the grip of what he calls the utopia complex a world we dream of and think that we are entitled to with outcomes that are always positive. In a recent survey, it was discovered that around 96% of 18 to 29-year-olds in America agree with the statement, I am certain that one day I will get to where I want to be in life. This optimism is so exciting. 
It paints a bright and happy future where anything is possible, and we want that for our young people. We want them to be possibility thinkers, but we need them to understand how to mitigate for problems and how to deal with disappointment and how to pivot and redirect and regroup when roadblocks occur. Despite amazing advances in medical science in our lifetime, all human lives remain marked by things like serious illness, heartbreak, tragedy, loneliness and grief. This utopia complex sets our young people up for disappointment when things don't turn out like expected or when something goes wrong. An increasing number of childhood educators, teachers and psychologists are raising concern about the lack of resilience in our children today. Some professionals have labelled those who are born and grow up in the 21st century as the fragile generation. We believe for all the good things and we cannot cope when they do not eventuate. Alongside this desire to be fiercely independent, we desire to be fully known and fully loved for who we are. As followers of Jesus, our identity comes from who God says we are. God says we are made in his image. We are saved by grace and we are his children. But every day we are tempted to believe things about ourselves that are untrue. So whose voices do you listen to? For the past 18 years, Humeridge Youth has run an annual girls' retreat. Alicia, Lauren, Casey, Rani, teams of leaders have taken our Year 11 and 12 girls away for a weekend to talk about the issues that they believe are important to these girls. Every year, one of the biggest issues facing our teenage girls is identity. Who they are, who they think they are, who they are following, who they want to be, who their friends say that they are. There are women sitting here today who were once those teenage girls, struggling to form an identity, and now they are grown-ups. Some of them mothers who are impacting the lives of new generations of young people. One of the activities that we do with the girls is to get a plain T-shirt and to write on that shirt in a marker words that people have used to describe us over our lifetime, words that are hurtful or painful. I see in these girls that some of these words carry with them deep pain. Some of the words that wound the deepest have come from the people who should love them the most. Their parents, their carers, their relatives, their close friends. Some of them have been taunts at school or deep held beliefs of not meeting up to the standards of what they've been expected. There are tears shed as we write these words. Stupid, ugly, waste of space, too black, too white, too fat, lazy, cheater, loser, quitter. And some of the words on the other side of that shirt were not G-rated, so I didn't turn it around. I get one of the leaders to put that shirt on and we wear these words. These words leave scars and bring shame. And as I talk about this, I know some of you have been carrying words around with it, you that you have begun to believe and have become part of the fabric of who you are. Those words 
And those descriptions are not who you are. I have spent many years with young ladies helping them to see their worth and their value and to begin to get a glimpse of who God thinks they are. As I've gotten older, however, I have discovered that some of the issues our year 11 and 12, 16 and 17-year-old selves believed remain the same as we get older if we don't surrender them to Jesus. When we've exhausted these ugly words, we get a second shirt. And using our Bible knowledge and experience and verses to prompt us, we write words that we would use to describe the person next to us. It's so interesting to me that these girls have wonderful words to describe their friends, but struggle to apply those same words to themselves. Tim Keller said that the Bible has the power to restore your true identity. When we accept God's gift of salvation, this is what he says of us. You are accepted. You are chosen. You are free. You are forgiven. You are a new person. You are a child of God. You are made in God's image. You belong to Jesus. You are not alone. You are protected. You are redeemed. You are loved and you are precious. When that T-shirt, the second T-shirt, is full, we get the leader to put the shirt over the first T-shirt. Because when God looks at us, he sees the second shirt. He knows our weaknesses and our failings. He sent Jesus to pay the price for our sin. When he looks at us, he doesn't see those other labels anymore. I want to pause here to mention two books that I love in helping children to understand their value and whose voice they are listening to. If you have to do Christmas presents for little people, these are good ones to, to think about. Both of them are by Max Licardo. The first one is You Are Special. This helps little children to identify those whose opinion matters and who they should be listening to. The second one, also by Max Licardo, is The Song of the King. This helps us to identify what God says and to learn to tune out the voices of others that pull us off course. They're both modern-day parables that teach really important lessons. And can I encourage you young parents to help each other with resources like this? There are so many voices in your lives that make you feel like you are failing. We need to speak words of life to each other, words of encouragement and words of support. In the last fortnight, our life group has been looking at those words on that list before from Scripture, the words that Christine used this morning too in communion. A lady in our group was reduced to tears as she admitted that she knows what the Bible says. She knows in her head that God thinks those good things about her, but it's so hard to allow those good things to drop from knowledge in her head to a reality in her heart. For so many years, the things she has been told about herself make her believe that she will still never be good enough, that she is a failure and that she will never amount to anything. So what is it that keeps her, and in fact lots of us, from believing or identifying, living in the identity that God has promised for each of us? God said that salvation has nothing to do 
with how hard we try or how try, hard we try to be good or how many good things we do. But we have a hard time believing that. We complicate salvation. We struggle to believe that forgiveness is a gift and that it covers everything. Our salvation is fully on the shoulders of Jesus. He took our sin and our shame to the cross with him and he bore the price that we deserved. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The message says it in such a beautiful way. We no longer have to live under the continuous, low-lying black cloud. If Satan can keep us trapped in shame and guilt, we will never be free. We can experience freedom from guilt and shame not because we are good enough, but because Jesus is. Not because we deserve it, but because Jesus paid for it. Guilt and shame are Satan's weapons to keep you trapped. The two things, these two things, guilt and shame, can change the way we interact with the world and the way we think about ourselves. Shame can change our behaviour when we wrongly connect our identity to shame. We become vulnerable to perfectionism. We try to silence our shame by performing perfectly. We think that if we perform perfectly, we deserve praise. Shame makes us critical of others because we are critical of ourselves and it drives us to be critical to those people around us. Shamed people tend to shame others. We hate the sin in others that we see in ourselves, so we comment and we criticise and we judge. Shame predisposes us to self-defeating thoughts. These thoughts shield us from disappointment or they lower our expectations so we won't be disappointed. We never try to try anything new, we don't risk anything and we sabotage anything God wants to bless us with. Shame-based thinking is not from God. The Bible calls Satan the father of lies. It is who he is and it is what he does. Jesus said this of Satan, when he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan loves to keep us in shame and in guilt and in fear. If he can distract us from the truth of what God tells us, then we will never walk in victory. Jesus prayed for us that God would protect us from Satan and his lies. He said this, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. If you find yourself here, trapped in guilt and shame, Tell Satan he's a liar. He cannot keep you trapped in the state that God has released you from. You are not what you did. You are not what you do. You are not what someone did to you. You are not even who you think you are. You are who Jesus, the risen Son of God, says you are. You are not too far from God and you are not beyond his reach. Charles Swindoll says, God's forgiveness extends to the worst offenders and to anyone who wishes to receive it. 
not because of who we are, but because of who he is. I know adults who believe themselves to be unforgivable. That's a lie. I know people who've been told that they are unwanted. They have been treated unwanted all their life. Words have been spoken over them that form deep scars. Their internal dialogue is stuck. If this is you, I'm so sorry. God's words can break the chain of those words. He can give you freedom and relief and restore you to the identity that God has given you. Sometimes, however, it's not the words that others have spoken over us us that keep us trapped. It's our own words. It's our own thoughts. We complain about who we are. The words we use to describe ourselves do us damage. I'm too short. I'm too fat. I'm too old. I hate my hair. I wish I had straight hair or curly hair or I just wish I had hair. (laughs) I wish I was younger. I wish I was funnier. I'm not smart enough. I'm not capable of much. We use words that diminish us. These words do nothing to help us draw closer to God or to honour him in the work that he did of creating us in his image. In fact, talking like that is false humility. Psalm 139 says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a work of art. You are God's masterpiece. Ephesians 2, 8, 10 says this. You are saved, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. The truth of who we are is the word of God, and when we grasp all that God has intended for us, we can let go of the things that have held us captive Romans 12.2 says, Don't copy the behaviour and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. A paraphrase of that is, Don't let the world squeeze you into its mould. Ask God to remove the labels and the shame and ask God to replace them with what he says about you. We keep the cross of Jesus close. And if we filter every attitude and every thought through the filter of Jesus and his sacrifice for us on the cross, through the word of God and what he says about us, then we begin to believe the truth of who we are. A.W. Tozer put it like this, put God in his rightful place and 1,000 problems are solved all at once. Go back to the list of words that we used earlier. Read them. Look them up. Begin to take them on board because they are what God says about you. Whatever you are facing today, lean into Jesus. Lean into what he has done for you on the cross. 
Read what he says about you in his word. Read your Bible and take it to heart. Take part in communal worship. Find yourself in church with others who are doing the same thing as you are. Take communion. This centres us on Jesus once again and draws us into confession and thanksgiving. Be baptised like Caleb was this morning and identify yourself with Jesus. The giving up of self and relying on Jesus is the ultimate way to find yourself. Matthew 10 says, Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. These acts we've had all been doing this morning already, communion and baptism, are both individual and corporate. They are part of our collaborative identity. We identify as followers of Jesus. We do it alone and we do it together. Right-sizing our identity is only found when we look to Jesus. His will be done in our lives. His kingdom come. And then in the middle of whatever you find yourself in this week, God is there. In the middle of the storm that I'm living in at the moment, I know that I am desperate to keep close to Jesus. I keep my eyes on him to know his comfort and his strength and his direction. I cannot rely on myself and whatever I believe myself to be, I know I'm not that strong. I cannot get through this without God, and I would hate to try. I read a story in this last week of a man who was facing an overwhelming life challenge. He said the only way was to stay in the eye of the hurricane. Us Aussies would call it a cyclone. The centre of the cyclone, the eye, is always still. Through every transition, if you stayed centred on what is central, you can stay steady and strong. The centre of the storm is still. There is a centre that is unmovable core of the cosmos. It is God. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him and do not fret, says the psalmist. To finish my message this morning, I want us to do something together that will help to right-size our identity, both as individuals and as a church. It is the perfect substitute for expressive individualism. Expressive individualism directs the person to build their own kingdom. Jesus enlists us in the service of the kingdom of God. The core of expressive individualism is looking inward to find your true identity, your authentic self. Jesus asks us to look to God. The writer of Hebrews says it like this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. What we're going to do is to fix our eyes on Jesus, to look heavenward and to say the words of the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer reminds us of God's centrality in our lives and our dependence on him. It helps us to look around, to look backward and to look forward. We're going to finish our, this part of our service by saying the Lord's Prayer and by turning our gaze upward and confessing that the kingdom and the power and the glory belong to God. In him and in him alone, we find our true identity. Will you stand with me as we recite these words together?
Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.